Soul of the Parsha with Rabbi Nir Menusi. This class is made possible by our kind supporters over at Patreon. Thank you and enjoy the class. Shalom everyone and welcome to our new weekly Soul of the Parsha class. We have now arrived at the Parsha called Balak. Balak is the seventh Parsha of the fourth book of the Torah, Deuteronomy, and the 40th Parsha in the entire Torah. We're gearing up towards the, the final run, towards the end. There are 54 Parshot all in all, so today is the 40th Parsha. And our topic for today is we're going to explore two types of anti-Semitism. Two types of anti-Semitism as they're reflected in the opening of our parasha. This year, we're dedicating our weekly parasha class to exploring just the first aliyah, the first segment of each parasha. And there's something about the, when you look closely at the verses of the first segment, you can find hints at understanding two types of anti-Semitism, which exist both outside of the Jewish people, because most anti-Semites are non-Jews, but some anti-Semites are Jews, and this is called auto-anti-Semitism. Auto-anti-Semitism is something like internalized anti-Semitism, is when a Jew or Jews or a group of Jews internalize, and subconsciously usually, a, an anti-Semitic worldview, a non-Jewish negative worldview, and they internalize it to the point that they view their own Judaism through, again, usually unconscious, anti-Semitic eyes. So in order to understand all of these, we need to map out two basic types, which is what we're going to do this week. Uh, as, just as a background, we're going to remind ourselves what's going on in our parasha. So the parasha is called Balak because it opens with Balak, who is the king of Moab. Moab, Moab, is one of the kingdoms n- neighboring the land, the future land of Israel, the land of Canaan. And it starts with Balak being terrified. What is he terrified of? He's terrified of the Jewish people. Why? Because at the very end of the last parsha, the Jewish people defeated two very powerful Amorite kings. They were called Sihon and Og. Sihon ve'og. And that's the very end of the previous parasha. The two mighty kings were destroyed and defeated. And now Moab is shaking in fear. He has nothing really to fear. We're not, uh, we're not uh, going to harm him if there's no need to. But he's afraid. Uh, for not Again, not for a good reason. But he saw what happened to the other kings. And he's afraid that we are going, we're going around terrorizing everyone. And the truth is that we were, uh, we had to fight them, we had to de- defeat them. Um, but, uh, but he's afraid that we're going to attack him also. So he enlists the help of a magician. And the magician is called Bil'am. And this is the topic of the first Aliyah. He sends emissaries to the strange magician called Bil'am. And he wants to hire him. He's a wizard for hire a magician for hire, he wants him to curse the Jewish people. And the sages say that the reason he went about in such a way 
is that he said the Jewish people aren't a regular people, they're a very spiritual kind of people, and their power, their strength, lies in their mouth, in speaking, in learning, in praying. They're a very intellectual and spiritual people, so they can't be defeated in military uh, means, by military means. They need to be defeated spiritually, and then they can be defeated physically. So he thinks that what can topple the people of God is something that's similar. And for him, religion, magic, it's all the same thing. It's non-physical uh, machinations, or the way how you explain the world and how you operate the world. So he hires this magician. And after debating and sleeping over it, Bil'am agrees. And then the continuation of the parasha is all about his journey to the place where he's supposed to cast the curses from, and he's confronted by an angel, and his mule starts speaking, and, and, and then he opens his mouth three times. He tries to curse the Jewish people, but three times, every time he opens his mouth, instead of curses, blessings come out. So this takes up the bulk of the parsha. Most of the parsha is him trying in vain to curse us, and instead of curses, the most beautiful messianic blessings come out, uh, of course, to the great uh, dismay uh, of Balak, who hired him. He's annoyed, and he keeps getting more and more annoyed. Three times he does it, and finally, uh, he, there's a fourth blessing that he gives, uh, but this time he doesn't even try to curse. He just opens his mouth, and this blessing comes out. And and then the, the the end of the parasha is appears to be a different episode. The sages Chazal say that it's it's really a continuation of the same story. It's about the daughters of Moab from the same kingdom seducing many Jewish people and luring them into worshiping idols. And according to the sages, this was also a suggestion made by the same wizard, the same magician Bilam, because he saw that he can't curse them. So he, he said, we can try and, and, uh, and hurt them and reach their soft spot using uh, sexual temptations. So uh, this is the broad outline of what's going on in the Parsha. But we're talking about just the first segment, first Aliyah. And this, as I said, is just the story of Balak sending emissaries to Bil'am to hire him, to ask him, can you please come and curse this dangerous people that's coming out of Egypt uh, so that they don't attack me. And now there's something very interesting that's going on here. Balak is using very particular phrases. He tells the, his messengers, go to Balak and tell him about these Jewish people and what I want him to do. And, the, and it's two verses. It's verse 5 and 6 of the beginning of the parsha that describe to us what Balak is sending to Bil'am. Bil'am doesn't answer immediately. He says, I need to consult God. And then he talks to God and he reiterates what Balak told him. He says again in, slightly different, in a slightly different wording. He repeats... What Balak told him, the request. He tells God, this is the request. Should I answer yes or no? But he doesn't repeat it verbatim. 
he doesn't repeat it word for word. He makes changes. And the changes are very important because the changes tell us about his own state of mind. Had he repeated exactly word for word what he, what he was told, then we know that he's being very objective, very honest. But the fact that he uh, uh, takes away some phrases, he omits them, and changes some other phrases, all this tells us that he has a different mindset. So we have the Balak mindset and the Bil'am mindset. They're both against us. They're both anti-Semites. But they're a different versions of anti-Semitism. They bend a little in different directions. They have a different emphasis. They see things differently. They work together. Because when you have a common enemy, you work together. But really, they have a different goal in mind. They perceive us differently. And the reason that they don't like us is very different for Balak and for Bilam. And we can learn this from their wording. So before we go into their wording, just note something very beautiful. Of course, who is the archetypal anti-Semite in the Torah? It's before Balak and before Bilam. The archetypal, eternal anti-Semite is, of course, Amalek. Amalek was the first nation to attack us coming out of Egypt 40 years previous, prior to this story. This is a story of the very end of the journey in the wilderness. And it started with just coming out of Egypt, and just before Mount Sinai, we were attacked for the first time by the Amalekites, and then of course they come back during the events of Purim, and they come back in, in, in other instances as well. If you look at the words, the names, Balak and Bil'am, and if you take the last two letters of each name, the last two letters of Balak are Lamed and Kuf, Lak. If you take the last two letters of Bil'am, they're Ein Mem, Am. Together, the last two letters of Bil'am with the last two letters of Balak create the word Amalek. There's something about Amalek. Amalek is sort of splitting. And the first two letters of his name he gives to Bil'am, which adds two letters in the beginning, the Bil, just before the Am. And then the final two letters of Amalek go over to Balak. With Balak adding just another bet, another B in the beginning. And then you get two new names, Balak and Bil'am. If you take the other letters, the bet of Balak and the bet Lamed of Bil'am, you get the word Bavel. So just the names Balak and Bil'am are together Amalek and Bavel. What's the connection to Bavel? Bavel has nothing to do with the story. We're not in Babylon. Bavel is Babylon. It's the Tower of Babel. What is this connected to the story? So very interestingly, since the whole story here is about using words to curse the Jewish people, and then the words are meant to come out evil, but then they are, they're switched into positive blessing words, all this is very, very reminiscent of the Tower of Babel, using the holy tongue, the original language, before the splitting into the 70 languages, that God gave us, the holy, divine language, being used to attack God, and then God responding by splitting that language, changing it, splitting it into 70 languages, in order so that in the, towards the end of days, we'll reconstruct the original holy tongue in a way that's even more perfect, and then we can know God together. So something a bit similar is happening here. The, there... They're both anti-Semites, that's why they have the letters of the word 
of the name Amalek in split in half between their two names, each one taking up two letters. And then the rest of the letters are Bavel because they're in a way they're trying to use the fact that we are a people of language, a people of communication, a people of spiritual people. We're not so much into um, visual temples and visual statues. We are linguistic people. We study a textual Torah and we worship an invisible God that's more like hearing than seeing. And they're trying to use this against us, just like the the builders of the Tower of Babel used language in order to attack God. They weren't as promiscuous and physical like the the previous universal sin, which was the sin of the flood, the generation of the flood. The generation of the Tower of Babel, they were more sophisticated, more intellectual, more subtle. They used language, but they used it in a way to attack God. Bil'am and Balak are doing the same. They're working together and they're taking this very verbal kind of wizard and using words, trying to use words to attack the people of God. The, in the Tower of Babel was attacking God, now it's attacking the people of God. But God is taking the words and switch, flipping them around. He used the, the language of the Tower of Babel to flip it around and, and, and create miscommunication among the builders. And now he's taking the words, the very words of Bil'am, and again, flipping them around and turning them from curses to blessings. So, um, uh, so this is just an introduction. So we have here, Amalek has sort of split metaphoric spiritually. He's split into two people, Balak and Bil'am, and they're working together, but they have different mindsets. So now let's look at what Balak is telling Bil'am when he asks him to please come and curse these people. And how Bil'am changes the wording when repeating the request when talking to God. So, I'm going to read in English. So, we're talking about the opening of the parasha, verses 5 and 6, are Balak uh, sending the messengers to Bil'am. And he says the following, There is a people that came out of Egypt. It hides the earth from view. And it settled next to me. They're covering the land. We can't see the land. They're numerous. They're so numerous. They're covering the land. We can't see the land. And they settled right next to me. Come then and curse this people for me. Now the word for, used for curse here is the Hebrew word ara. Ara is the imperative of le'erot, which is to curse. One of the words to curse. And it has to do with the word arur. Arur, le'erot, it's the same root, has to do, it's one of the Hebrew words for cursing. It's a particular word. So come and curse Ara, these people, for me, since they are too numerous for me. Perhaps we can thus strike them and drive them out of the land. Right? This is what Balak is saying. So then Bilam says, okay, I have to sleep over this, I have to consult God, I can't just answer. And then he turns to God, and he says something very similar, but this time it's taking up one verse, not two, because it's shorter. And it's similar, but it's different. And he goes like this. Here is a people, right, the same. It started with here is a people, again, here is a people. Here is a people that is coming out of Egypt, from Egypt. Now notice, this is the first difference. They didn't come out of Egypt in the past tense. They're coming out of Egypt now. It's as if it's a constant 
emergence of the Jewish people from Egypt. Balak just said they came out of Egypt, and indeed it happened 40 years ago. They came out of Egypt and they covered the land. But, um, but both these verbs, coming out of Egypt and covering the land, Bil'am is using the present tense, as if it's constantly happening. They're coming out of Egypt and they're hiding the earth from view. They're, they're, they're covering it so much that we can't see it. Come now, he's quoting, but he's misquoting. He's misquoting Balak. He says, come now and curse them for me. But he's using a different word for cursing now. He doesn't say ara. He says kava. Kava is a different word. And it's going to be a debate what exactly is the difference. But for now, let's, settle, let's just acknowledge the fact that it's just a different word, a different a synonym for cursing. So, come and curse them, kava them for me. Perhaps I will be able to do battle with them and drive them off. Before, it was perhaps we can strike them and drive them from the land. Now, it's to do battle with them and drive them off. Not from the land, just generally drive them off. So, in addition to all these changes, he omitted two important things. He omitted the phrase that the Jewish people settled next to me, which Balak said, and he omitted the fact that the Jewish people are too numerous for me to fight. I can't, uh, using military, uh, you know, based on military intelligence, just see the fact, I can't fight them, they're too big for me. He, he, um, neglects, to, he neglects to say this. He doesn't say that they, uh, that they parked, that they, that they camped, next to Balak, and he doesn't say that they're too numerous, and also he didn't say that they came out of Egypt and, and covered the land, he's using the present tense, and all the differences we just listed. So, okay, so what do we make of this? How do we understand all these differences? So, we have um, two approaches among the commentators. This is very interesting. According to two very, very basic, important commentators, the Orachayim HaKadosh, his name was Rabbi Chaim Atar. He was Moroccan, great, important commentator. We spoke about it a few classes ago. And another one is Kliakar, that's his name. They say that the way the changes, and they go over all the changes, we're not going to look at the details, but they're going over all the changes, and they're saying Bil'am is softening Balak's hatred and and Balak's depiction of the Jewish people is he's softening it. They're saying that to curse in using the word kava versus ara is less less a less terrible kind of cursing. And they also say that um, um, doing battle with someone is uh, not as uh, harsh as striking them. Striking them is just one blow, but doing a battle with them could be for much worse. And they also say that to, uh, in Balak's words, let, help me drive them out of the land. But when Bil'am repeated it, it said, let me drive them out, not out of the land. So they say uh, it could be uh, more, more local. When Bil'am is softening everything, it's just to push them a little bit away, but not further away, not from the entire land. Rashi is taking up a completely different approach, at absolutely 180 degrees 
reversed. He's saying Bil'am makes everything far worse, not better. He's not softening. He's making it worse. And he says it explicitly. If you read Rashi on the parasha, he says, uh, Bil'am hated the Jewish people more than Balak. This is the, the source or the, the, uh, the evidence that they were two, that we're talking about two types of anti-Semitism. Because Rashi is saying explicitly, he's talking about hatred for the Jewish people. That's anti-Semitism. And, and he says um, that Bil'am was a greater anti-Semite, anti-Semite than Balak. By the way, the word anti-Semite is the modern word that we use, but it's important to know that it's not a very precise word. It's a, a, it's a little bit whitewashed. In fact, anti-Semitism was coined by anti-Semites. And it was coined in order to, dis- to hide the fact that it's not an anti-something. You, you know, you're not, it's not antibiotics or, you know, anti, um, anti-some ideology or anti-some approach. It's the traditional term in Judaism is Sinat Israel. Hatred for Israel. That's the, the more precise traditional term in Judaism, and it reflects more the reality of what we now call anti-Semitism. It's hatred for Israel. Anti-Semitism is a bit whitewashed. Why? Because the Semites are not just the Jews. Semites are something much broader. They include the Arabs. They include all the descendants of Shem, son of Noah. And anti is also sort of you know, it's a, it's it almost sounds like a philosophical idea. Uh, you know, worldview. It's not a, a hate. I don't hate anyone. I'm just anti. I disagree with the Jews, and I want to send them to gas chambers. You know, and uh, so it's a, it's it's a, there's something anti-Semitic about the term anti-Semitism. However, I am using it here because it became so widespread and so basic in our language. So it's okay to use it, but we need to remember there's there's something about it that is a bit, you know, it's. It's covering up. Uh, it's a sugar coating, a little bit sugar coating, or at least, if not sugar coating, then coating of some sort uh, for what is what should be called sinat Israel, hatred for Israel, for what Israel stands for, and for the Jewish people, the Israelites themselves. Okay, so anyway, we have Rashi saying that um, uh, that Bi'am is worse, and he's taking just two differences. And in order to prove his point, it doesn't go over all the differences. He takes two. He takes the difference in the wording of ara and kava, the two words for cursing, the two Hebrew words for cursing. And he says, unlike the first two commentators, he says kava, that's the word used by Bil'am, that's worse. Why? Because kava means, among other things, it means to, expli- to be more explicit. It's more explicit. There was something harsher, more explicit about the curse. And then the the second difference that he goes into is Balak said, "Help me drive them off the land." And Bilam, when he when he re- re- repeated the, the the request, he said, "Help me drive them away," in a, in a more vague term. So Rashi is saying he wants to drive them out of the world. Balak just wanted to drive them out of the land. Balak was just, he didn't care if they live 
happily ever after in some other land. He just wanted out of his land so that they don't, so that we don't uh, endanger him. Again, he, in, uh, in truth, he has nothing to fear. We're not interested in his land. We're not interested in making a battle with him. We're interested in the land of Canaan. That's where we're headed. And we're just passing through. And if you let us pass through, then no harm will come to you and we're not going to fight you. But he's afraid because, because of his anti-Semitism. And, and so, but, but for him, it's just, he, just some, he just wants them out of sight. I don't want them in my land. I don't want them next to me. But when Bil'am is talking to God, he's saying, the way he says it, he says, I was requested to drive them away. He doesn't say from the land. He says just to drive them away. And from this, Rashi learns he wanted, or subconsciously or not subconsciously, what Bil'am is suggesting is that I need to curse them so that they're driven out of not just the land, out of everywhere, that they're annihilated. So, of course, Bil'am here becomes the far worse anti-Semite. So, we have two varieties, two forms of anti-Semitism, with two very important commentators saying that Balak's anti-Semitism is worse, and Rashi, the great commentator, on the other hand, saying Bil'am's was the greater the greater anti-Semite. So in order not to throw anyone away and preserve all our great commentators, we need to reach the conclusion that we need to locate and identify two types of anti-Semitism and that one of them is worse than the other in one sense and the other is worse than the first one in another sense. Because Elu ve'elu, Divrelokim Chaim, these and these are words of the living God. This is a basic principle that is used, especially in Kabbalah and Hasidut, to refer to all different uh, differences of opinion with the, among commentators. So now we need to find out what kind of anti Semitism uh, both these um, uh, disputed characters. Balak and Bil'am stand for. So let's look at, at what's going on in the story. It becomes very obvious that Balak is very pragmatical. Balak has his own piece of land. He is a king of a people. He is the king of the Moabites. And he says, they camped next to me. They're greater than me. He's very practical about it. He's very uh, realistic about it. And he says, I fear that they're, I'm in danger. And their people threaten my people. So I just need to drive them away. And then they can go and live wherever they want. I don't care. But I don't want them taking over my own land. He's very practical. And, and uh, so this is a national conflict. For Balak, this is a national conflict. He doesn't like the Jewish people because he just doesn't like this people. And uh, he doesn't have something in principle that he, he hates all Jews everywhere or he has a deep hatred for what Judaism stands for. He just, uh, he says, they're, they're eating up the grass, you know, their herds are eating up the grass and taking over our resources. And we are in, they're, they're endangering us economically. Today, uh, when we talk about green, he says, um, let me find the exact uh, 
exact verse, uh, when he sees them coming, he says uh, that they're going to eat all the grass of the field. Uh, so all the grass of the field is, in Hebrew, the word grass is the same word as green. In fact, the word green comes from the word grass or vegetable. And um, so we can interpret today, uh, it's one of the resources. It's not so much the field, it's, it's money. It's they're taking over our money. Money, the most famous currency in the world, is the dollar bill. And the dollar bill is green. And so if they want to take up the, the green of the land, then they will get, eat up all the green, all the greenery, is in, in, a, in our version, is they're taking over the economics. So Balak is, again, a very practical, materialistic sort of type. And he's worried about money, he's worried about land, he's worried about economic resources, and, and for him this is a national dispute, and he wants to be in control of his own land, his own resources, his own economics, his own money. Bil'am is a very different sort of type. Balak, we know his nationality. He's a Moabite, he's the king of the Moabites. What is Bil'am's nationality? No one knows. He's a man of no people. He's a man of no land. He's not a king, and nor is he a representative of any people. He's, an, he's this unique sort of type, who's a magician. And in fact, his name, we said before that the last two letters of his name are the first two letters of Amalek. So his name is split in, in half. He has the first two letters Bil, and the last two letters Am. And they can, if you look at them as two different words, then what they mean is Bli Am, without a people. Bil'am is without a nationality. He is nationless. He is, in modern terms, a cosmopolitan. What is a cosmopolitan? A citizen of the world. A citizen of the world, cosmopolitan literally means citizen of the world. Cosmo is cosmos, it's world. And politan is citizen, coming from the Greek word polis. So, cosmopolitan is a citizen of the world, a man of the world, a globetrotter. He is a, a magician for hire. He is a spiritual type. He doesn't belong to any land or nationality. This is another connection to the Tower of Babel. Maybe he speaks all languages. That's why he's hired, because he's great with, with words and languages. So, he doesn't have a land, doesn't have a nationality. He's wandering from land to land. And we can also interpret that he is against nationalism. You, we can imagine this kind of intellectual, academic type sort of person, who, as all modern academics, they're very universal and very mobile. They move, they're, they're usually wealthy, and they move from country to country, whether it's, if it's for conferences or postdoctorates, or they have a research fellowship somewhere, and, and the, in a way, they live in this kind of virtual community that's made up of all the different academias all over the world. And in fact, there's this term called academia. And academia is not a place, it's not a state, it's a state of mind. It's the combination of all campuses all over the world. And so, Bil'am is sort of a scholar-in-resident wherever he's hired. 
He's a man of the world. He doesn't have a place. He goes from place to place, and he is anti-nationalism. So he is perceiving the conflict with the Jewish people in very, very different terms. He omits the words that the Jewish people camped next to Balak, because he doesn't care about the physical vicinity. He omits the words that they're too numerous for Balak to fight, because he doesn't care about the physical size of the people. He cares about what the people stand for. He's an intellectual type. He's thinking about ideas and concepts and, and symbols. That's what he's all about. So, and also, he doesn't say they came out of Egypt. They covered the land in the past tense. He's using the present tense. They're coming out of Egypt. He's, he's treating the Jewish people like they're a kind of mystical, constantly regenerating or constantly being recreated uh, notion that is constantly coming out of Egypt. Because that, and of course, he's right about this. Every day, we need to remind ourselves of coming out of Egypt. And we sh- every person should, sh- should see themselves as coming out of Egypt in each generation and also each day, because we repeat the story of the coming out of, uh, coming out of Egypt in our morning prayers every day. So he says they're coming out of Egypt constantly. They're about uh, building their nationality coming out of Egypt. So what he doesn't like is the very concept of the Jewish people as a nation, because he doesn't like the concept of a nation anywhere. Balak wasn't like that. Balak has a nationality. For Balak, this is a national, nationalistic conflict. It's one people against another people over who will win. But for Bil'am, it's not a nationalistic thing because Bil'am is not nationalistic in his thinking. He's internationalistic in his thinking. He's universalist in his thinking, Bil'am. So he, and that goes together with Rashi saying he wants to erase them of the face of the world. Not just driving them out of the land. He doesn't want them to exist as a concept because they represent the concept of nationality in the, in in a, a very you know um, a, a very explicit and very poignant and very uh, irritating sort of nationality nation, nationalism because they're a nation they're a nationality that claims to be the chosen people. That's the worst kind of nationality you can have. It's not just a nationality which is bad enough in itself, says Bil'am. It's the worst type of what nationalism can come to, which is saying, I'm the chosen people, and I'm supposed to rule the world or something. So they need to be, the concept needs to be eradicated. And if we eradicate the Jewish people, we eradicate nationalism everywhere, because they somehow give power to the concept of nationality and nationalism. So two totally different type of person, different type of approach, Balak more materialistic, Bil'am more spiritualistic, Balak more nationalistic, Bil'am more uh, international or particular versus universal. Uh, In the previous class, we spoke about the spiritual origin of left and right politics. So if if we'll try for a minute to connect the two classes, we can say that... Balak's anti-Semitism is right-wing anti-Semitism, and Bil'am's anti-Semitism is left-wing anti-Semitism. Right-wing anti-Semitism comes from nationalism, 
for the Nazis, it was the Aryan supremacy, for the kind of alt-right type in America today, or neo-Nazi type, it would be uh, white supremacy, it's not just Aryans, it would be white supremacy, not Aryan supremacy. And they, uh, they so the Nazis did try to eradicate the Jewish people from the world. But, but that, that was an extreme case of, let's say, the two types connecting. We'll see this in a minute. But the traditional right-wing anti-Semitism is we just want to drive the Jewish people out of our land. We don't care if they're in another land because we just want to have our own nation-state clean of Jews or at least have them be subjugated. But we want to drive them away as a power that is threatening us. And we just want to push them out of the land. Why? Because they're thinking, they're thinking in, uh, in terms of a particular piece of land that's our land, that's our nation-state. And we want to just Jews out. The fact that Hitler and the Nazis wanted to uh, exterminate the Jews wherever they are, to persecute all the Jews all over the world, was simply due to the fact that they wanted to take care. They wanted to, sorry, they wanted to <laughs> take over very opposite. They wanted to take over the entire world. And, he, of course, he went together with this very deep, deep anti-Semitic approach that we need to completely eradicate the Jewish people. So the Nazis are, in a way, not uh, the best exemplar or the best example of right-wing anti-Semitism because the traditional type of right-wing anti-Semitism is just nationalistic and just in our nation-state. The fact that the Nazis wanted world domination and they wanted to kill the Jews wherever they may be is because, in a way, they were Amalek themselves. And Amalek, as we know, is the origin of the, both types of anti-Semitism. Right? That's what we said in the beginning, that Amalek is now split into two. But if we're talking about the Nazis, that's not right-wing anti-Semitism or left-wing anti-Semitism. That's the Amalekite anti-Semitism. But the Right-wing anti-Semitism is just a regular anti-Semitic government or populist right-wing movement in some country somewhere that wants the Jews out of our country, or at least not to have any influence over our country. So that's there, and we see it in 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 certain some certain circles in certain areas in the United States today. There is a kind of uh, right-wing anti-Semitism which wants Jews out of the United States. Not that they would be completely destroyed, but just don't take over our economics, don't take over our land, something like this. So that's easier to spot. There's something interesting. Their right-wing anti-Semitism is easier to spot because it's nation versus nation. It's one nationalistic worldview that says we are the top nation and we want you to be inferior to us. Left-wing anti-Semitism is harder to spot. It's more subtle. Left-wing anti-Semitism, a bit like Korach from the previous class, who marched under the banner of equality and used it to hide the fact that he was really very much authoritarian and thinking in hierarchical terms. Same goes for left-wing anti-Semitism. It's never overt. Left-wing anti-Semitism doesn't speak 
in overtly anti-Semitic terms. It would never say, I hate all the Jews. It would never say something like, kill all the Jews. They're more sophisticated. The left wing is more sophisticated, more intellectual, just like Bil'am. And they speak in a different language. They're talking about, I want to eradicate the idea of Judaism, the spiritual. I don't care about the Jewish people. I'm, I'm, I'm in favor of all people living in equality and freedom. I'm a liberal. I want everyone to live equally. But the concept of Judaism as a chosen people, as a nation, and also them having a nation state, which is then used in order to take over other people's lands, and in order to subjugate them, all this, this is, needs to be eradicated from the world. This is the intellectual, academic, left-wing type of anti-Semitism. It doesn't present itself as anti-Semitism. It doesn't perceive itself as anti-Semitism. It is saying, I'm anti, sometimes it would be just something like, I'm anti-Zionist. I think Zionism is very wrong, and is used in order to uh, um, uh, justify uh, uh, conquering and ruling over another people. And, but really, underneath, you can see that what's at work here are anti-Semitic forces, even if they're not aware of it. That's what is driving them beneath the surface. Because you see, that their kind of criticism that they're leveling against the Jewish state, the state of Israel, is, isn't leveled against any other country. They're using completely different criteria. They're ignoring uh, the, the things that Palestinians or Hamas are doing, and they're extremely biased. And their bias exposes the fact that it's not just anti-Zionism, it's anti-Semitism, or as we said before, it's something even deeper than that. It's hatred, a subconscious hatred for uh, Judaism, what it stands for. So this is very interesting. We know in the world today that there is a right-wing kind of anti-Semitism, and you can, you can identify them in the internet, in their uh, websites, and, and they would sometimes identify with the neo-Nazis or with the Ku Klux Klan or things like this. But there's also the more subtle, sophisticated, not necessarily self-conscious form of left-wing anti-Semitism, which is Bil'am. And the reason that the, we had two great interpreters saying that he softened everything and he w wasn't as bad as, uh, as Balak was because of the sophistication of the language of Bil'am. That Bil'am makes it seem as if he's not driven by hatred and he doesn't want to kill anyone, he just wants to uh, attack the idea of Judaism or something like this. So we have these two types of anti-Semitism, and in a way, we can argue, we can say that the two opinions regarding them are both true. It just depends maybe uh, on the era that we're in, and depends on in what sense. In one sense, the right-wing anti-Semitism is worse, because if, if given free reign, a right-wing anti-Semite would would kill Jews. He would. Uh, that's the kind of anti-Semitic attacks that we see in Europe, in the United States, every once in a while, of someone, let's say, shooting people in a, in a synagogue or attacking Jewish neighborhoods. That usually comes, or almost always, it, or, or actually always, it comes from right-wing anti-Semites. So in this sense, of course, they're far worse. Just like the Ochaim and the Kliakal, the first two interpreters, said, that's what they said, that right-wing Balak anti-Semitism is worse. But there is another way of looking at things, uh, 
uh, and in a in a way, the left wing anti-Semitism is more sinister. It's more uh, sophisticated because they're not going to just kill anyone. They're just going to delegitimize and boycott and uh, and and uh, what's the word with the BDS uh, acronym? Boycott, uh, divest, right? And uh, BDS and sanction, right? Uh, boycott what's going on, not invest in it, and and um, and do and have political and have sanctions. That's left wing anti-Semitism. It does, doesn't go about killing anyone, but it tries to delegitimize the Jewish people from existing or at least existing politically. So uh, and it wants them basically to return to a state of exile that they have no land, and they are in a way nationless. They become this roaming, uh, universalistic type of people who are moving from place to place, just like Bil'am himself. So it's very interesting. We really see in the Torah, nothing in the world is not alluded to in the Torah, the sages say. And here we can find the opening of our parasha and a, a clear allusion, beautiful allusion to two types of anti-Semitism. Now, as I said in the beginning, anti-Semitism is often internalized. And it becomes something known as auto-anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism that's projected by a Jew towards his own people and his own existence. So just like there's, generally speaking, anti-Semitism coming from Amalek, and generally speaking, there are, there's something called auto-anti-Semitism, but now that we have taken the original anti-Semitism and split it into two types, we need to do the same thing regarding auto-anti-Semitism. And here, something very interesting is going on. Here, the left-wing type of auto-anti-Semitism, that's the type that's more easy to spot. And the right-wing type of auto-anti-Semitism is harder to spot. Very, very interesting to think about. Why is this so? I don't know why is it so, but it's so. So, why is it so? The left-wing type of auto-anti-Semitism is what we see in many circles, academic circles. It's Jews belonging to the academia. They're very wealthy. They're very mobile, like, like Bil'am himself. They travel from university to university. Um, if the Jewish state, God forbid, is, is destroyed for some reason, they, they'll have a place to go. They'll, they'll find shelter and they'll, find, they'll, they'll be able to afford a house in another country and they'll be able to find a job in another country. And they're mobile. They're mobile and they're universalistic. That's how they, they, they live. And in a way that makes them not as um, involved, in a way, in, in local affairs, they are involved, but they're involved from a universalistic point of view. It's as if they're playing the UN, although they're part of the of the conflict. They're not neutral. They're part. Of, they're on the Jewish side, but they become the identity. Become pro-Palestinian or pro the enemies of Israel. They become. They identify with the other side, um, uh, but they justify it using universalistic language. They don't say, I, I favor the Palestinians. They just say, I favor, I favor the weak, and the weak happens to be the Palestinians. 
and and then they become anti-Zionist and anti, and and in a deep way they become or they display anti-Semitic thinking. So this is easier to spot, and this is well known, and people are very angry. People who are connected to Jewish identity and Jewish tradition uh, know to uh, identify these types very quickly, and they see them as traitors, and they see them as people you know, working around in, in influential circles in, um, in Europe or in Washington, D.C., and really doing a great, great disservice to the Israel state by really siding with their enemies. And they do it in the academia, and sometimes they do it in, in other circles as well, more activist, politically active circles. And that's easy to spot. Then there is a more subtle kind of auto-anti-Semitism. This time it's the right-wing auto-anti-Semitism. For a non-Jew to be a right-wing anti-Semite, it's something we immediately identify. He has a neo-Nazi flag, or he has a Ku Klux Klan symbol, or he's using this very, uh, you know, vile rhetoric, very violent anti-Jewish rhetoric. So we can easily spot him. The right-wing version of auto-anti-Semitism is very hard to spot. And do you know why? This, this is the toughest part to explain, because it appears to be it's covered under the guise of Jewish pride. It, it marches under the flag of being, of viewing the Jewish people as a nationality, as a proud nationality, but using nationalism in order to drive away the religious element of what Judaism is all about. It's not anti, it's a subtle form of auto-anti-Semitism. It's the, again, imagine a Jew, a right-wing Jew, who is all about the Jewish flag, the Jewish symbols, Jewish nationalism, Jewish pride. He's very nationalistic. But, if you, but it, when, when confronted with the religious aspect of what Judaism is all about, the vision of the temple, the messianic vision, the idea of serving God, the idea of observing all the commandments, and also, by the way, the idea of having, uh, ultimately, a very universal vision regarding the world, that we want to have, we want to build a temple for all nations. All this, he doesn't like. It doesn't go along with his perception that the Jewish people should be a people like all people. So he's a proud Jew in terms of the Judaism as a nationality, but he can be anti-religious even more, sometimes, even more than the left-wing type that dislikes, you know, the idea of Jew Jewish nationalism. You, you can f sometimes find more harsh uh, uh, words regarding Jewish religion, the Torah, the commandments, in right-wing secular nationalistic circles within the Jewish people. And we, we saw this, by the way, in the previous elections here, that the, a right-wing, a, a traditionally right-wing party the main slogan was, and they succeeded, 
is having a government without Haredim, a government without the ultra-Orthodox Jews. That was their main slogan. All of their campaign was based on pushing away the ultra-Orthodox. And they're a right-wing, and they're very proud of being Jews as a nationality, not as a religion. And this is another form of internalized anti-Semitism. They've internalized the uh, uh, a kind of a kind of anti-Semitic view that uh, looks down and ridicules the Torah and Jewish religion. And they've internalized it very well. And they hate the Jewish religion. And, and we've seen this from the very beginning of, of Zionism, that the right-wing type of Zionism would often be more vociferous in terms of how it would describe the ultra-Orthodox world and the religious world. It would be more vile in its hatred for the Jewish religion. But using Jewish nationalism very proudly in order to cover it up. It's very interesting. Now, the end of all of this tour is that what do we do about this? So here comes the greatest twist in the story. God is taking Bil'am's curses and turns them into blessings. To the chagrin, to the dismay of Balak. Balak is becoming more and more exasperated. He can't stand it. He's going crazy. I hired you to curse them and you're blessing them and three times and he's tearing the hair out of his head. And, but God doesn't reverse Balak. He does reverse what Bil'am is saying. There's a kind of interesting rectification. A kind of we call it in Hebrew itapcha. Itapcha is like v'nafochu in Purim. It's when you take something and you reverse, flip it upside down. God is saying left-wing anti-Semitism is more reversible than right-wing anti-Semitism. In some deep way, there's a greater truth in left-wing anti-Semitism and auto-anti-Semitism, the, universal, the universalist type of anti-Semitism, not the nationalistic one, the particularistic one, not that. There's something, there's like a bigger spark there that God, God wants elevated. He wants to elevate the spark. So at the end of the story is that Bil'am is, over, is, is sort of transformed into a blesser. And he gives the most beautiful blessings imaginable. So the point that we're getting out of this is the following. Just like Amalek split into two types, two persons which, which embody two types of anti-Semitism, and they realize they have to work together in order to curse us, in order to fight us off, we want to rectify ultimately Amalek himself as well. This is well known in Kabbalah and Hasidut. It says that the descendants of Haman are study Torah in Bnei Brak. That's what it says in the Gemara. And we know that the Amalek was born of a woman called Timna. Timna wanted desperately to convert to the Jewish people. But she was pushed away by Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob. And when all three rejected her, she says, well... I have no choice. I'm going to marry Esav's, Esau's son, Eliphaz. 
And lo and behold, she gave birth to Amalek, the person, the original person Amalek. And so all this was just because she wasn't converted by the three fathers, the three patriarchs. And Chazal say this, and they criticize Jacob, the final and third father, for not converting her. Had he converted her, Amalek would have been born a Jew. Amalek was the embodiment of the frustration of Timnah that we didn't convert her. Amalek has a positive root. He wants to be converted. So, just like Amalek ultimately can be rectified, the same goes for the two types of his spiritual descendants, Balak and Bilam, the two types of anti-Semitism. There's a spark of truth, a spark of holiness in each one of them that we need to adopt. We need to be a nation, a nationality. In the previous class I said that, maybe I didn't say it in the, in the English version, I don't remember, I give the class twice. But in one of the versions I said was that uh, Moshe and us, they like very much to be in the middle path. But Korach, taking up, one stand, taking up a certain stand, uh, forces Moshe to take up the other side. And he's forced to be a right-winger. He's a right-winger by force. He, he has no other choice. But ultimately, he wants to be center. He wants to include the right and the left in the Torah. But for the time being, he has no choice but to identify as right-wing in order to battle the rebellion of Korach. But then in the end, he's going to elevate Korach's spark and, and become a centrist once more. So same goes here. We want to be both particular and universal, both a nationality and a, a, a people of the world, a cosmopolitan people. We want to be both left-wing and right-wing. We want to include the sparks of truth that's in both sides. So first we need to go with Balak because we need to be a Jewish people. That's what happened to us. We became a Jewish people in Egypt. We then became a Jewish people with the Torah, when we received the Torah, and then we became a Jewish people living in the land when we entered the land of Israel. And all this was to build us, to build us, to, to uh, evolve us as a people. We need to be a people. We have a nation. Uh, Judaism is a nationality. But it's in a way, we should always look at it as saying, I'm, I'm I have a nation. I'm proud of my nation. I'm a proud Jew. But it's not my story. It's not the regular kind of right-wing type of uh, national pride, you know, pride in the anthem and pride in the flag. Because in a deep way, all this is saying all the nations are the same and they're just very proud of their own particular um, uh, tradition or their own particular culture or language or flag or anthem. But that's not the Jewish story. The Jewish story is that we are a nation because God needs a nation in order to bring down His universal, eternal Torah for all of mankind. This isn't nationalistic thinking. Saying, I'm God's messenger to all the nations, and I want to bring the truth of the Torah, the beauty of the Torah, 
to all the nations of the world is a totally is a, it's not a nationalistic approach. Someone who's nationalistic would never say this. He would say, I own my own nation state and I want to be just like the other nations and to live side by side to other nations. And, and just like and, and, and someone from England is a proud uh, Englishman and someone from French is a proud Frenchman, I want to be a proud Israeli man or a proud Jewish man. And, and that's it. But that's not the Torah vision of redemption. The Torah vision of redemption is that we identify the people in order to become, in many ways, a people that's not a people. A bit like Bil'am, Bli'am, Bal'am, not to be a people, not to be a regular people. We're here for mankind. We want to help mankind grow. We want to bring the, the light of the Torah into the world to help God's name be revealed everywhere. And the land of Israel needs to expand to cover all the lands. And God's service needs to expand to cover all the Jew, all the peoples of the world. They should all come together, all the peoples of the world, and worship God in union, in unison, together. So this is a big spark that Bil'am is holding on to. And this is the ultimate message of this class, that, but, that at first uh, we, we are going with the right wing, parties, and we're saying something like, you know, left-wing is very universalistic, it's trying to erase all nations, and it doesn't give room to the Jewish tradition, so uh, we're going to irritate the left by being nationalistic, being proud Jews, and learning our history, and being faithful to our traditions, and so on. But then, we want to bring out the universalistic vision of the Torah, to bring light to all the nations. And then suddenly it irritates the right. First we irritated the left, but in the end we're irritating the right, just like Balak is exasperated in the end of the story. We're saying, God is saying, by, by reversing Bil'am's curses, He's saying there's a spark in Bil'am's universalistic vision. That's what I want. Just like He was right in saying these people are now coming out of Egypt. Bil'am, before the, the, the curses becoming blessings, when he just said it, he said they're coming out of Egypt, he knows there's something about Bil'am that he understands the Jewish people, that we have a spiritual vision, and it's something constant, God is constantly recreating us, and we're coming out of Egypt at all time, and we want to bring something to, all, to the entire world. And that's why as an anti-Semite, he wants us to drive us away from the world altogether, but if we take the spark from him, and we elevate it, and the combination is that we're a nationality, that we're a nationality that's unlike right-wing nationalities all over the world, because we also have a left-wing element to us. The left-wing is that we want to see all nations coming together. We don't just care about our own nation. We want to have this, it's very universal in thinking, and it's very spiritual in thinking, it's not practical. And we want to... Uh, and it's not military, it's not conquest, physical military conquest, it's, it's conquest with words and songs and Torah learning and giving classes and teaching and all this beauty and having be spread all over the world and that rectifies and elevates Bil'am's left-wing anti-Semitism 
uh, it shows there's a spark there, and then it captures the hearts. of le- First, we capture the hearts of the right-wingers. We tell them, we're with you, we're conservative, we're right-wing. But then we suddenly say, no, but ultimately, we're, we have this left wing also. We have both wings. We're flying. We need both wings, both the right and the left wing. And, and then we, we can bring everyone, both right-wingers and left-wingers, under the wings of Judaism. So may we marry to see all this come about, and may we be able to contribute to all of this. So with this beautiful vision of rectifying all anti-Semitism, uh, we finish this week's Soul of the Parsha class. Hi, if you enjoyed this class, please click the like button and subscribe to the channel. On YouTube, also make sure to click the bell icon. To keep the classes flowing and free of charge, please consider supporting us on Patreon, an amazing platform for supporting independent creators. You're also welcome to join our weekly live Zoom class every Sunday evening, Israel time. You can find all the links in the description below. Thank you very much, keep healthy, and see you soon.